gorgeous souls. Welcome to the Soul Aligned Living podcast. I'm so excited to connect with you all. So go make yourself comfortable and settle in for some deep soul talk, high vibes and a good dose of laughter. So this is a sacred place that I've created where we're going to be talking about all things related to feminine leadership, spiritual entrepreneurship, money, energetics and soul purpose. My name's Alara Dawn and I'm a coach for feminine spiritual entrepreneurs who desire to expand to the next level of freedom, wealth, joy and pleasure. I help women take back their power, rewrite their stories and create soul aligned lives and businesses. You can come and join me in the Awakened Feminine Soulpreneur group on Facebook that's free and I'd love to welcome you there. Or you can connect with me on Instagram, which is Pure Light Alara. You can also check out all the regular free, powerful, energetic activations and courses on my site, www.purelight1111.com. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome, gorgeous souls. I am super excited to have uh, another YouTube guest with me. So this is Hamid Jabbar, and he's known as the Mineral Shaman. He is an ex-attorney, health coach, sound therapist, and brings in much of his shamanic wisdom lineage and all the explorations that he is journeying on at this time. And I'm super excited to welcome you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure, and I'm excited for this conversation, see where we go and what kinds of things we can unravel. Yeah, I found you obviously on a podcast and then went deep dive onto your IG, and wow, 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 wow. So many people need to uh, connect with you and share some of this amazing uncovering. It's almost like another piece to many puzzles. So, um, where to start? Because there were so many juicy things. Let's have a look at min- mental health as mineral health. I think that's a really good starting point. If you want to start <laughs> from that landing. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think it comes from, well, you have to have some context too, because I've been exploring mental health, wellness, spirituality for most of my life. And I started much more on the non-physical practices, meditation, and really getting into deep states of awareness and consciousness and sort of unraveling into the body. But when I said mental health is mineral health in that Instagram post, I was just referring to the fact that we can get kind of skewed one direction or the other. And we have to remember that the body also is responsible for our mood. Um, Anybody who's ever been sick knows that it affects your mood. Um, And and it doesn't have to be a, a very big illness to cause us to feel horrible in our mood. Some people have chronic inflammation, just light things, and it affects their mood. Um, there's lots and lots of information about this out there, too. You know, the interplay of magnesium with depression, anxiety, almost every so-called condition that there's a diagnosis for involves dysregulation of magnesium. There's hardly any that you can find that don't. And other ones that are are sort of important, other minerals, I mean, copper and iron regulation has a big effect on our mood, our energy. 
And so I was just trying to point people in this direction because I think we can get kind of myopic and we can just go talk therapy it out or meditate it out. And we're not really addressing some of the, the other aspects that are more in the dense realm, you know, like the physical realm. And minerals to me are the physical, they're the building blocks of the physical realm. So when you're coming on the continuum of energy, you start to get these tiny little building blocks. And so that's where the foundation is for our health. And that's why I, I like to focus on minerals first, because it's the very first thing that that's going to create everything else. So it's kind of making sure you've got the strong foundation, like the build up the container is in some level of at least good health before stepping into some of the other explorations. So we were talking about ceremonies and, you know, things along those lines, but it could be just as much as, you know, I do a lot of energy work. And one of the big pieces when I'm working with people is to make sure that they have a toolkit that not only keeps them in balance from a mineral perspective, but also make sure that they are not completely like electrolytes, for example. If you're doing lots and lots of energy work and your electrolytes are out and you're not drinking enough water, and then all of that will have a massive effect on integration. Um, and that's been something from kind of day dot from my own experiences and noticing patterns like, for example, if I'm going in to do um, initiation or lot of ceremony work, me being more in an alkaline state is a better state for me to be doing that as a channel and bringing through that level of energy. But I might actually need something different at different times when I'm maybe not doing that level of intensity. So it's like being kind of aware of there are other needs and I will have to adapt those things and purification is not just going on some kind of breathitarian or water experience it's actually making sure that from a macro perspective my minerals my vitamins I mean I've had so many different um kind of like exploration through the dietary and the that level of things in the past that it's given me quite a good self-encyclopedia I'm obviously don't prescribe or offer any kind of expertise around it but I'm pretty good at knowing when something's not right or what I need to prepare with or I get guidance on like a download of you need this new thing and then suddenly I google it and it means this and it would have been in preparation for something I'm about to do um, but I appreciate not everybody obviously has that kind of thing happening um, and you offer coaching around this as well don't you so people mm -hmm. can come to you in preparation um, and I guess this really leads on to, there is a, a big desire, I feel healing is becoming much more accepted, not necessarily mainstream yet. I think people are really getting into mental health therapy is now talked about and not as stigmatized. I feel that healing is going to just be a, a, a part of that, but realizing that there is like this completely diverse world with different expertise, perspectives, niches, that doesn't necessarily have this, this, this strong container and the strong foundation. Um, one of these being the plant medicine world in its many different guises. Um, and I'd really love for you to share a bit about, I guess, preparation. We've talked about magnesium and those kind of imbalances, but there are some quite serious connotations to being out of imbalance going into some of these experiences. So I'd love for you to share a bit about that. Yeah, this is a this is a deep topic because 
the plant medicine work that's making its way around the world right now is rather new in its introduction to sort of Western societies. It may be that these plant medicines have been used for thousands of years in indigenous traditions, most of them coming from South America, there's a few from Africa. But the, the diet of these people, the mental health, the, just the social upbringing, the way that they interact with each other and the land and the plants, it, it's not the same situation when you bring those medicines into the context of working with Westerners. And we sort of have this view because it comes from the original Westerners who started going down to the jungle. Let's just talk about ayahuasca, for instance. 30 years ago, you know, Westerners started to really tap into that. And because of the Western lens, they came back and told everybody, oh, it cures depression. Oh, it cures anxiety. Now, the indigenous people never said that. And that isn't what they were using it for. So then we have a whole sort of expectation that's been built around this. And people are, are seeking out these medicines in hopes of, you know, resolving traumas, in hopes of curing depression, maybe addiction, other things like that. And the, the preparations that are being prescribed are simply being copied from the indigenous traditions. And for the indigenous people, you know, I spent time with the people known as the Shipibo people who are in the Amazon rainforest. If we just take their preparation for ceremony and apply it to Westerners, we're really missing a lot of details here. Um, part of the problem is that we're just very different. You know, the diets that we grew up eating, the, the social aspects that have led to sort of emotional, um, our comfort with our emotions is very different than them. And so if we just take their preparation and copy it, we don't always get the result that we're intending. And sometimes there can be detriments. Now, from the mineral perspective, this is a whole nother lens, but the people of the jungle are very different in their mineral status. And one of the ways you can identify this very easily is you go there and you go to a village and you look at the old people who don't even know how old they are, by the way, because they don't have birth certificates. <laughs> but there's people who are at least 90 years old who don't have any gray hair or wow. you'll never see baldness. You don't, and they'll have perfect teeth, for instance. And you look at that and you think, how is that possible? Is it genetics? Well, actually no, because when these people move out of the jungle and they move to the cities, you can go to the big cities that are now in the jungle areas where people have adopted Western lifestyles. Essentially the old people have gray hair. Their teeth are not great. And they're bald. And you see the exact same effects happen to them when they're taken out of their indigenous environment. And one of the reasons that that plays out that way is just because of our minerals. Actually, the people of the jungle have very intense mineral status. I don't yet have the vocabulary to talk about it. I just say they have, they're really well mineralized. We store a lot of minerals in our bones, especially magnesium. And some of the traditions working with the plant medicines involve giving up salt, giving up all kinds of <clears throat> foods for extended periods of time. Now for them, because they've got reserves, the very deep reserves of the minerals, they can go for a month or two without having anything of sustenance. 
because actually their body's just drawing it out of reserve. So they're not eating it, but mm. they're still getting it. You take Westerners, and I work with Westerners all the time that have experienced, you know, just being completely depleted after going to that work. Well, they start taking the same dietary restrictions that the jungle people had, and pretty quickly they don't have any reserves. So they end up in a very different situation, both mentally, emotionally, and physically, where some of those practices can actually lead to magnesium deficiencies, depletion of other minerals, and people can end up in a pattern, which is the thing that I've seen more often than not, is once somebody makes the decision, I'm going to go work with ayahuasca, they don't know what they're getting themselves into sometimes because they're setting themselves up for a pattern where they get depleted, they come back, they feel so good because the medicine is filling you with happy hormones. A few weeks, a month pass, the hormones go away, and now they're more depleted than when they started, and they feel worse than when they started. Then the solution is, oh, i got to go back to do another ceremony, and you start to see people, this pattern of going to ceremony. Then it's like every three months, then it becomes every month, then they pick up another habit, maybe it's another medicine, and all of a sudden you've lost sight of the whole point of the situation was to heal, was to be less reliant on substances, to be more integrated with our emotions and our body, and the, that's an unintended side effect of just not paying attention to you know, the individuality of who we are for preparations. And I do work with people individually. Sometimes people come to me, we look at their blood results, we look at their hair, and I help them see the mineral dynamics at play just to give them an idea of, you know, where they might need to prepare differently than the indigenous people. And more often than not, I work with people after ceremony because they didn't do this preparation. And they're not feeling well even a year or two later. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And a lot of it starts with the, the restrictive diets around working with plant medicines. And then the medicines themselves end up depleting you even more while you're working with them. And so we can go into specifics if you like. It's just such a vast, vast topic. I don't want to go too far afield. I'd love started, to really, but. yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fascinating because I'd love to know um, because I think when people don't realize that there is an implication, not just in the depletion, but also what kind of mental health experiences you could have if you're going in with low electrolytes or you're going in there, you know, with, you know, severely depleted or even something that was coming through is around, um, I'm seeing more and more women actually quite close to or saying they're desiring to get pregnant and going and doing plant medicines. Now, if you're saying that, you know, you're already going in, a, a potentially they haven't done the pre-conscious, you know, uh, conception side of preparing your body, so they might already be depleted, then to go and do plant medicine and then try to conceive and then maybe get pregnant where the body, the baby is going to be already taking up a lot of the nutrients that are needed if they're not being consumed. It's kind of this, like, pattern, and I can kind of see it through maybe women that are in some of the more healing kind of communities that I connect in with as well. Um, that was just something that kind of came through. What, what are the kind of things that we need to be aware of? 
Yeah, like I said, it's very individual. You are in a very different state of health than I am. And so part of my teaching that I'm just trying to help people understand is that if you get a piece of paper that says, oh, you should give up salt, you should give up this, that is a very general piece of advice that may be good for some people and may be harmful for other people. And so it's very difficult for me to give a blanket statement on how to prepare for everybody. Just, just on the point that you mentioned, this is another example of sort of cultural misunderstandings because in some of the tribes, they, the women, they may actually drink ayahuasca during pregnancy at certain points in the pregnancy, oh, wow. usually later in the pregnancy. And then even in countries like Brazil, you're allowed to have ayahuasca during the birth. There's a whole practice of ayahuasca birthing, which is fascinating because the medicine itself helps open everything up, you know, it can help resolve breech babies very easily. But these are done with knowledge and practice, you know. So I usually don't encourage people who are trying to get pregnant to go jump into working with the plant medicines. And I've seen people get pregnant actually working with the plant medicines right around. And that's a whole nother story because I don't think it's always the best idea to be, you know, falling in love and making babies when your mind is completely in this other state of consciousness because it's not an integrated experience then. And I've seen couples who fall in love and have babies. They struggle because after they leave the jungle, then all of a sudden you're back in your life. Well, the, there's no connection anymore other than through this plant medicine. So we're constantly coming back to work with plant medicines together to reestablish. It can be a challenge too in another respect. But I would point out the thing about pregnancy is that it's incredibly depleting for moms. You know, mom has to give 10% of her minerals to the very first baby she has. 10% is a lot. We're talking iron, copper, magnesium, everything. And she has to create a whole baby. And so the last thing I would encourage any mother to be or anyone looking to get pregnant is to do lots of these cleansing practices because actually ayahuasca, this is a cleanse. So you're depleting yourself. It's not that you don't want to be clean when you get pregnant. You just got to be careful on things that are cleanses because you might you might need those minerals for something. And are there any particular, um, you know, if somebody did uh, go and do their kind of trip to the jungle and they are already um, depleted in, say, electrolytes or, uh, you know, particular like magnesium, is it going to affect, you know, potentially, could you have a fit? Could, you, could it be it would potentially create a situation where your body's not going to respond or be able to hold that experience during the ceremony? Is it that kind of thing that could happen for them? That is super fascinating. Potentially. Yeah, that is, that is a very fascinating thing because a lot of people think of minerals, oh, it's minerals, electrolytes. But actually, you know, our body is really interesting in that our level of sensitivity, both to our internal emotions or to external sources is often governed by our mineral balances. So people who mm. are very insensitive, you ask them, how do you feel? I don't know how I feel. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. You know, they don't know how they feel. They, if you look 
at their minerals, you know, we can use hair testing as one method. Oftentimes you'll see that they have an intense amount of calcium in relation to magnesium, <clears throat> which is usually a sign that calcium is building up in the tissues and it's coming out of the bones. So this idea of someone being calcified, it actually is a physical thing. And I, I start to wow. think that that's actually that's a defense mechanism. So when we're unwilling to feel strong emotions, that actually starts to happen. Mm. We start to create this shell, this calcium shell. And what it does is it prevents us from feeling the emotions that we don't want to feel. And then we're going about our life and we're, we're, we think we're good. Now, one thing that working with plant medicines does is that it tends to decalcify people. So it can be a situation where people who they're not prepared to feel an emotion, all of a sudden working with a physical medicine like ayahuasca or psilocybin, some other medicine, starts to actually deplete the calcium enough that it opens up that flood of emotions. Wow. Yeah, the armor, mm -hmm. the armor actually dissolves. And, you know, ultimately if that's well supported and they're prepared and they know this is going to happen and they've done preparation and through the process they're held in a, in a safe environment and after as well, it can be very good for mm. them to release those emotions. But a lot of times people that have built that type of shell, they don't even know that the emotion is there. And when it comes up and it starts to come out, it's not something that they can handle. So I, I think that that yeah. on like the, the intensity of these practices, they're not gentle. There's, there's far more gentle ways to get into the traumas and the emotions. This is sort of the sledgehammer approach. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, the thing about the calcium coming apart is just one of them, but people that are incredibly magnesium deficient as well, they kind of have the opposite issue. Um, sometimes, and let's say there's no calcium issue going on, they're just magnesium deficient, they can be very sensitive, overly sensitive to everything. And those people don't need to be drinking plant medicine usually because they're already in tune and already very sensitive. Um, sometimes the medicines with them are just incredibly overwhelming. And then there's a lot of people yeah. in between. You know, The majority of people I think are in the middle and the experiences for them can be held, you know. That, those are the stories that you usually hear about. You know, you don't hear about the outlier stories a lot unless you're talking to someone who's been in that world and has seen it. Um, but the, the going in depleted can lead to some, I don't know if I would consider it an adverse event, but... It can be unintended, you know, for a lot of people have heard about these medicines because they watched a documentary or they heard a podcast and they have an idea, but they don't always understand that every person's experiences is completely different. And what they experience may be absolutely the opposite of what they were expecting. And if they're willing to go through that and hold that experience and know that's a possibility can be really healing. Um, but a lot of times it can lead to projection, you know, blaming, ah, this is a bad experience. I blame this person. I blame the shaman. I blame the medicine. You know, it's the not, not understanding their part in it or, or any of the deeper messages, then it's sort of, what's the point?
And I think it's also this thing with um, talking, it's very interesting about like the energetic armory. So if you haven't experienced, you know, you've got no control. So somebody that's got all of this armory will probably in their kind of day-to-day -day life be trying to control things. Mm -hmm. So to take something that then from the inside out literally takes that structure away, which in other forms of healing would be gradual. There would be a healing interrelated kind of therapeutic relationship. There would be time to integrate. There would be time to have little bits of things and restabilize. So you can kind of like come back to a bit of a different set point of power to then go in a different country, potentially different language in a situation where it maybe is not the safe container that you perhaps need. You know, that's where the potential, if you want to call it danger, it depends, but it probably would be quite terrifying. I can imagine if I went from where I'd been with my level of trauma into that situation, that would have been, yeah, yeah. <laughs> certainly an initiation. Yeah, I have personal experience with people that I've seen where, you know, I not to get too specific on who they are, but close people in my life, and they would tell you, I don't have any traumas, I'm good, I never had any <laughs> things, right? And then I've seen that happen, they go and they'll drink ayahuasca or wachuma, San Pedro, another medicine, and all of a sudden all kinds of memories come back that they didn't even realize were there from their childhood. And the, the same mechanism that suppressed the memories, which is sort of a form of denial because it's too painful, that mechanism gets kind of turned off. Now, that can be very destabilizing for people because if this happens and they're trying to stuff the memory back or deny it and say, oh, no, it's just a hallucination caused by the medicine, they no longer have the ability to control it. I've seen people in that situation before, and it's a really uncomfortable place for them to be. It takes a very long time for them to come out of it and, and integrate that. And to me, that's why I tell people, if you're going to seek out working with plant medicines, make sure that you're doing other things first. This isn't the first option. You know, maybe some forms of therapy, working with uh, other types of practitioners would be better, just so you know what's there to uncover. You don't want to be totally surprised, you know, in the middle of the jungle. Because of the, also the... I apologize. Cool. It's like the, you know, the UK to the Arizona delay. But I, what I was going to say is the, the people of the jungle, they're, they're well-intentioned. If you're working with indigenous people, a lot of them are very knowledgeable, but their conception of healing is very different. So people may not get the support that they think that, that they need in those circumstances. And it's not the only place that you can experience those medicines, but a lot of times people assume that because the indigenous people are the masters of the medicine that they also understand psychology, you know, trauma. They may not. They may view it completely differently from a totally different lens and they may feel unsupported. Then. And I, if I kind of reflect on, obviously I've got a, a finance background and I tend to also attract people that are highly functioning and just because you're highly functioning and successful and whatever other things you've got going on in the, the surface of what you've created sometimes that has come from 
you know, trying to heal from something, run away from something, better yourself from something, and you don't necessarily need to have been beaten black and blue to have experienced abuse. You know, most of the patterning that we have in our defense mechanisms and the stuff that really regresses us and triggers us, it's coming from stuff that's below four years old and sometimes in the womb. So, of course, you've got no recollection of that. You might think, I have the nice home, mum and dad were still together, all these placeholders of what we think is normal. Yet, if there's, you know, compounding needs that weren't met, you're going to have some armory there. And when your identity also has been locked up, which, you know, many of those in those kind of environments has been, you know, I, it's the societal thing, you know, I'm the hierarchy. I'm in this kind of corporation. I went to this university. I've got this degree. I've got blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, actually, like, if you've got that much armory also that is perhaps underneath some big wounds that need to be released, that is something to consider. And I feel that it's almost like this framework of having, going into it, recognizing that we are, you know, responsible for ourselves. So as we know, we can't expect the shaman to be, you know, trauma-informed, up-to-date in all the new medical sciences and be able to give us necessarily that level of detail. So that means we have to explore it. And, you know, like we probably wouldn't go to a surgeon and not check out if he was the, does good jobs and, you know, what his kind of success rate is and his history. We kind of maybe need to bring the toolkit in. So it's like, how can I... You know, it's almost like if you're going into pregnancy, you don't just really want to be jumping in a month before. You want to do a year before. How do I prepare for this? So, like, mm -hmm. how can I get my minerals in sync before I perhaps go into these things? What what support team do I have? Do I have someone that can do some body work with me? Do I have somebody that can, you know, go in and do maybe some of the soul work or the bioenergy work or that side of things? Because I've actually had people come to me after the ayahuasca experience more from the um, psychic side where things have been blown out and they've got themselves fragmented and part of my work with them has been to bring them back in and work with the energy field in accordance with the body. Um, and I've had people that have ended up in a psychiatric ward. Somebody, you know, was sent there afterwards. Um, so not having the right support and discovering that one of those situations was a few years ago and somebody found me online, had knew about my work and said, look, you know, can you help us in any way? This person had done ayahuasca in, I believe, Norwich in the UK. So it wasn't like a big organization. Um, and when something kind of went wrong, a level of kind of, I guess, psychosis because the armory had been removed, she wasn't coping. They just left her outside A&E. So to have that experience of then quite severe abandonment to a degree in that situation outside the hospital it's like be really clear you know who are the people that you are surrounding yourself in when you are really handing over those most wounded parts of ourselves potentially um you know who, would you hand your child over to them and it's almost like we need to have that lens a little bit as well um mm -hmm. to make sure that we have people around us that you know afterwards that can help us integrate i think that is a massive thing this journey is not meant to be on our own. And somebody that can give you a different lens can help us integrate a lot better than us ruminating on certain thoughts, which are going to affect everything to do with body chemistry and how we're 
feeling afterwards and also even the perspective of the experience could be really distorted and all it takes is a conversation with somebody else to really help with that adjustment that really gets the, the benefit of that medicine. I don't mm -hmm. feel it's just the do the ceremony and that's it. It's like it's an initiation. An initiation was never like, there you go, there's two hours in ceremony, off you go. It was like a journey. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, you know, it's surrounded experts and that crucible that's holding it. It's almost like if we look back to that, and, and make sure we have those tools and those support teams around us. We're setting ourselves up to feel more supported, in control, as much as we can be, um, and setting ourselves up for a different experience, I feel. Wow, yeah, no, that's, that's beautiful insights. And I think the, the point about control is really, is really good too. You know, you have to... Well, we, we tend to control more because we're, we're hiding some tender part, you know, and, you know, surrendering control, giving up control. This leads to the, the concepts of like a safe space and also a safe container and who's there and how is the space held. I think you mentioned to me that you, you had experience with hypnotherapy, but like you'll understand this then, which is that when you're working with these medicines, even not just at the time where you consume them, but afterwards for extended periods of time, people are very suggestible, incredibly suggestible. And this is a great responsibility for the people that are facilitating the medicines to understand that everything they say is going to be put into the subconscious. And I, I have done work with people who, it's, it's more just trying to undo the programming that came from going to these ceremonies because a lot of the belief systems that some of the people hold about, you know, certain things fear-based even, that they didn't walk in with these fears and then they walk out and they have them all of a sudden just because that was what people were talking about and talking about it in a casual way, but a lot of people internalize these things on a deep level. There can be a lot of a lot of cleanup work. So this is one reason why me personally, even though I do, I do, and I have worked with the plant medicines, I'm very particular about who I will work with. You know, the last thing I would ever suggest anybody do is just Google, you know, ayahuasca retreat center or something. Cause you'll definitely find places, but this isn't necessarily the way to find the places that, you know, you want to talk to the people, you want to talk to people that have been there. And even that experience you described of the person there who got left at the hospital, I mean, to me, that's horrifying. I can just imagine that scenario. It's just, yeah. it's one, you know, talk about if you didn't have an abandonment wound going in, you're definitely going to have one coming out. And now you have to deal with that yeah. in addition to everything else. It's just, just incredible. Yeah, and that's not the only kind of... I, I was getting an influx of them probably over... I've not had one for maybe another... Maybe two years, it was before lockdown, but there was quite a few where people, all women, that were getting involved in things. Um, and, yeah, I just... I think it's... Um, we've got to... So there's, this is another thing that will come through the spiritual communities. There's one level that says that, you know, you get the experience that is right for you and you're where you need to be. 
And that's kind of true on one level. However, we need to recognize that you are co-creating with your soul, not from control, because you can't control all of this stuff, but you can go, well, okay, the experience I'm wanting is not to necessarily experience my childhood abandonment through this experience. I would actually like to explore it from a safe, held, contained environment. Not also just on the physical. For me personally, it's like also can somebody track energy? Can they actually follow this person through that journey and the different things that are going on? Because that's kind of my my specialty. So if I was working with someone else and I was going to be put in that situation or I was going to choose to go into that situation, I want to kind of know what I'm, you know, who I'm working with. Is it going to meet my kind of needs? And we are all very, very unique. And, um, yeah, kind of thinking that little bit further could really, really alter somebody's experience. And I also feel that, you know, whenever somebody wants to come and work with me, it's a, it's a, sort, it's a soul appointment. So it becomes a level of, um, you know, I am kind of holding that space for that initiation. And there is a level of, you know, I have a responsibility, a soul contract around that and ensuring that vortex that I'm creating um, holds that, you know, the energy, the alchemy, the transformation and the afterwards, you know, it's a journey. And I guess there's even probably people listening to this, if we go into something with that standard and that expectation, you start to seek out and find something in alignment with it because you know it's even possible. Most people are just going off thinking, okay, well, this is just what normally happens. But I invite people to make this a, you know, this is a soul experience. This is something that you are going to get soul growth, but we can get growth through many different contrasts. So why not choose something rather than have it you know, just directed off to the the option that will blow everything up for you. Um, why not choose that, you know, I haven't had support in my life or I haven't had these good experiences. So I'm asking for initiation with somebody that is going to create a different experience for me that is just as powerful and it's just as healing or just, just as impactful because I'm really getting what I needed in this transformation rather than going on the journey and just kind of, don't know what I'm really getting myself in for. It's almost like the top of the roller coaster and you don't realise, you know, who you're on there with. Um, yeah, we get to choose. Yeah. Well, we get to choose or at least make a statement and a declaration. And I think given this is spiritual work, not just physical work, that's really potent and powerful is to make that initiation, make that declaration, make a little ritual and call that in. And don't rush it. Don't feel that you need to, like, be on Google. Like, where are these people and... Joe blogs down the street, well, he says we must go to this shaman and do this thing. Mm. It's like each journey is going to be different to us. You know, I think yeah. that's something if, you know, listening to this that are in my communities, if I can share something, that would be it. It's really like bring it into a co-creation with your soul on the experience that you choose and be informed and question, be curious. Because we're all learning new things. You know, that's what we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so amazing because you started with this cliche, which everybody says, which is the plant medicines give you what you need, not what you want, or you're going to get the, ex you know, I don't remember what the exact <clears throat> terminology was, but you hear these. Are you going to get the experience that you need, isn't it? Yeah. So all of this stuff. It's like, oh, okay, okay so I got more abuse. Oh, right. amazing. 
that, that, that's like, <laughs> it's such a, it's a thought terminating cliche too, because it ends the discussion, but it's actually much more nuanced because you just went on and explained in such a beautiful way that actually there's much more co-creation involved. And, and perhaps you could take that view that that is what you need, but you could also take a different view and, and determine, you know, what's in your best interest. And there's a lot of people that I know who have gone down. It's kind of a continuum. Um, we may be speaking more to people who haven't yet entered the plant medicine world because there's this, um, you know, you put everything on a pedestal that you haven't entered yet. It just holds so much promise and it's just magical and mysterious. And that is usually yes. how people enter like that. But the continuum is such that after people have been in there for a long time, they start to come out of it and go, ah, you know, wow, we really took all that off a pedestal, didn't we? <laughs> you know, after you come out of it. <laughs> but that happens later. <laughs> so I, I really love that co-creation part. I think there's a lot, there's a lot that people can do to work with the, these practices that they're just leaving on the table. They're just totally giving up their agency and, and showing up, oh, just whatever happens, happens, which is why I appreciate that approach. You know, just not first jumping into medicine, but working with other things to figure out what it is that you want. And I have seen people who are so intentional with that and they, they plan for a year, then they go to an ayahuasca ceremony then they integrate for like two years, right? And I've seen amazing things. People have really had amazing outcomes. And it wasn't about just focusing on the medicine that's going to heal me. It was about all of the process. And, and then, you know, especially afterwards as well, like taking time to really, you know, bring these things into your life in a way and let your life kind of adjust. And I think it's also this piece with... Um integrating the the higher dimensional work with the physical is that a lot of people get hooked on whatever it is that makes them connect to more light and bliss etc but they haven't worked through any of the lower stuff which also means ch making changes behaviors habits so it's all very well going off elsewhere and having this amazing experience but part of the integration is to come back and go you know what all these red flags and these triggers are showing me that things are misaligned so that means I'm going to have to do some further integration and deeper work to probably change things, how I show up in relationships, how I communicate, um, maybe leaving relationships, maybe, you know, changing jobs. That is like, it's not just the ceremony. <laughs> the whole point of like alchemizing these things is if you are holding the deep trauma and the beliefs around that and the energetics that you're holding, you're no longer an energetic match for what you go home to. So it is going to bring up this discord of things don't feel the same anymore yeah. or I feel really high, but then wait a minute. And it's like, yes, because this is the next part of the initiation. This is where you essentially are assimilating to your next kind of like timeline, essentially, because you're no longer holding this stuff. So you need to step up. But if you've got nobody that's really like assisting you in that, you're going to be like, oh, my God, things are like rock bottom again. Off to the jungle. That's my next fix. Rather than going, well, everything is me in relation to me. So if things are not feeling right, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. You know, how am I looking after my body? 
what's going on with that kind of stuff? Do I have a community around me that I connect with? My relationships, are these still aligned? And then starting to work through those things. That does take time, but trying to figure it all out when you've not got anybody to kind of hold that, I call it the crucible, like, you know, the vortex, that's when people are doing this, like their energy's up and down, and they can't stabilize at the, the new set point because ultimately nobody has really recalibrated them to that kind of new energy, you know, platform, should we say, or frequency. Um, yeah, off on a little yeah. tangent there, but yeah, I definitely feel... <laughs> It's a great tangent. <laughs> Goes on and on. Um, one of the things we were also talking about was rapé, actually. So this is one that I'm beginning to see more and more just pop up on, like, IG. I've never done it. Um, but I would love uh, you to share a bit about even what's in it and maybe if a bit more about it, because I don't know huge amounts and why it would be used from the information that I've seen. It was more about this is helping me get clarity and I'm using this daily. I mean, is it something you should be using daily? Is it, you know, what's the kind of outcome of, because ultimately we're sticking a substance up our noses. So we need to kind of take that into account on the physical. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Rape. It's, it's, R-A-P-E with a little dash on it. I think most people pronounce yeah. it hape with an H because that's sort of closer to the indigenous pronunciation. There's not one thing. Now, this is something that five years ago, you probably, if you saw it in Instagram, you would have been like, what is this? Because nobody was doing this five years ago except for people who had been with the traditions of the jungle that used this medicine. And I will say it is a medicine, and if it can be used as a medicine properly, it, it can help in certain things. What it is is a powder, it's a snuff. So actually a lot of cultures have snuffs, tobacco-based snuffs that people snort. Rape, hape is a little bit different because it's not snorted, it's actually blown up the sinuses with a pipe. So you can blow it up your own sinuses or someone can do it to you. And it's usually... Now, there are hapes that don't have tobacco that have other plants in them, but most of them have a jungle tobacco that's very strong. It's not the same plant that we call tobacco in the West. It's a different species called Nicotiana rustica. So it has maybe 17 times to 20 times the nicotine, plus some other properties wow. to it. Yeah, there's some other alkaloids that serve as monoamine oxidase inhibitors and other things, but... It can be psychoactive in a way that tobacco, which the species that most people are familiar with, yeah, the, the Western species is called Nicotiana tobaccum. So this is a, this is a fascinating thing because certain tribes use this for cleansing. Tobacco is very powerful. I mean, in fact, people think of nicotine as just this innocuous substance that you can get addicted to but actually it's very toxic mm. i don't think people realize that the tobacco plant the nicotine is the pesticide that prevents bugs from eating it and in fact a lot of tobacco plants you can't touch them because you will get poisoned they're from the nightshade family and when tobacco is smoked actually it destroys most of the nicotine if you were to take the nicotine 
content from one cigarette, perhaps, and you extract that nicotine, it's enough to kill a person. But the burning of the cigarette actually neutralizes a lot of the nicotine, like 90% of it. So you don't die. But nicotine itself is a poison. It is a toxin. And it can be a medicine as well. This is that continuum of how is it used, you know, yeah. and in what context. And so for the people of the jungle, they use it like a medicine. You know, nicotine has properties that are really good for parasites, antiparasitic. It also can be really good for getting things out of the nervous system. It's a, it activates the nervous system. And so rape, one of the unique things about it is that it bypasses all of our defense mechanisms for preventing poison from coming in the body. Like if we eat something, we have this whole digestive system, it likes to filter it. Um, and rape is applied directly into the nasal sinuses and it's absorbed directly in there. Now there's not a lot of defense at that point from your, your body absorbing lots of the, the chemicals that are in there. And that's why people feel it so intensely. You haven't done it, but I can tell you it's incredibly overwhelming depending on the type of hape. Most people would underestimate just how overwhelming it is, but it is a full body experience, you know, and I, I can't... Yeah, I've, I've seen people and they responded to it. Um, which varied. It really did vary. Some people, they were clearly used to doing stuff. So actually it was like quite normal for them. But others, it was their first time and it was quite a physical response, eyes watering and, oh, yeah. you know, red face. Yeah. <laughs> Coughing. <laughs> I will say that I, I worked with that medicine quite a bit. And part of the reason that I started to explore it was because I was having issues with my sinuses and some of the some of the things that people will tell you including people of the jungle that work with it is like oh you have a sinus issue this is really good for you because it's going to open up the sinuses well what I found was that actually it just opens it up for like two minutes and then, then it doesn't then they close back up this is a very temporary thing but over time, it can become addictive. And that's the thing that I noticed. And you'll see it on Instagram. You'll see it everywhere. Mm -hmm. People have taken something that is incredibly addictive and instead of acknowledging that they're addicted to it, have turned it into a, a spiritual practice. So in, it sort of forgives mm -hmm. them from being an addict. It's a daily ritual. So now no yeah. longer are you addicted to nicotine you are now engaged in a in a process that's spiritual and it's something to be glamorized and maybe you teach other people. But one of the hallmarks of this is that everybody that does it, that is a regular user, they can't stop. I mean, you ask them, how long has it been? You know, if well, every day I sit with Hape, you know, it's like, well, try going a month. And what will happen <laughs> is they're going to think about it a lot. They're going to think about when was the last time they did it. Oh, when is the next time? That's that's the problem with hape. It's very addictive in a subtle way that people don't realize that they became dependent on it. Now, the other problems are things that I've, I put an article on my website, uh, mineralshaman.com, talking about this. But when you look at what's in most of the hapes, it's definitely things you don't want in your body you know, carcinogenic compounds that are caused by the way that it's made usually because they 
smoke and dry the tobacco over coal fires or various types of fires. So you're basically getting all of the carcinogens, yeah, and you're sticking it directly up to sinuses. And we haven't had enough experience in, in our culture to see the full outcomes. But I know people personally and people who have reached out to me who have definitely had injuries from working with Hape too much. People who have <clears throat> permanent sinus issues that are caused by that. Probably they didn't have sinus issues before, but it can really kind of destroy the sinuses in a, in a bad way. And then certain people, I've had at least one person tell me that they had cancer in their sinuses after a lot of hape, and they had to have it removed. Um, you just, if you start to look into the research on snuffs, which is something we have a lot of research on, because people have been using the other types of tobacco as snuffs, we know they're not good. They cause all kinds of sinus problems and probably other problems that are throughout the body. And yet now we are in an age that just because we don't know the bad outcomes yet, people think it's safe. And what I just try to raise a little bit of awareness of is that maybe you want to think a little bit more <laughs> before you just go assume something is safe. I, I, you know, I don't know that, I don't know that there's any reason to believe it's safe other than the fact that we haven't seen a lot of injuries yet or people admitting to it um, and it's so interesting how our answer seems to be to put a substance within ourselves to get the change because i was talking to a shaman um last year and i was saying that my understanding was that the shaman for a very young age would have been doing like ayahuasca they would have been prepared they would have been all these initiations and what used to happen is the shaman would take the ayahuasca and then channel the essentially the language or the song of the plant. So that would be like the light language. And it was that them being that channel and vessel that then would have provided the, the healing through the, the sound vibration in the same way like I channel light language and that might be part of my psychic surgery or the work that I do. So it was the Westerners that said, well, no, we want the full experience. So... You know, they go there after they're like drinking, smoking, Western diet, stresses, the epigenetics off the back of that. And they decide that they're ready to have that full experience. And that means taking it. And obviously the vessel not being, um, you know, prepared, but also this whole thing of the answer is in taking something. Yet we've got to remember it's consciousness. Like everything has its own if I channeled into ayahuasca, which I've done in some of my ceremonies with people, you know, it has a consciousness. It's a spirit. It speaks. It has information. So it's interesting how this Western mentality is to the physical. But actually, perhaps the answer is maybe not that we need to get an addiction to any other thing of taking something. It's maybe we need to look at the, the spiritual connection back with some of these practices and medicines and perhaps that's where there is maybe a little bit of a an open opportunity of having a different experience with ayahuasca not just one where you're taking it into your body and the same with any of these things and I know that that might be quite out of some people's realms of consciousness but I feel that in future people will understand that kind of more that yeah. possibility um 
what's your kind of thoughts around that? Because you work with other modalities like sound, so obviously, you know, there's other things, other toolkits for just the, you know, not just the plant yeah. medicine. No, I appreciate you saying that. And I just had this recognition that everything I just said about rape, I will get lots of people that are really triggered by it because it's happened every time I've said this. And, and so I just point out this phenomenon, which is if we are triggered by a statement about a medicine that is really dear to us, it might be something that we need to look at in the subconscious too, about like why that would be triggering to hear mm. that this might be dangerous. Why might it be triggering to hear that people were injured by it? Because it challenges people's belief systems mm -hmm. of it. So just put that out there. But I, I absolutely 100% agree with what you're saying about not needing these medicines. The medicine itself, it comes from a tradition, which is how I started this conversation, which is what you describe. You know, most of the traditions, this was the medicine of the shaman. It wasn't even for the other people in the tribe. They didn't drink it. The shaman drank it. The shaman went into altered states and you would sit there maybe and they would sing to you, blow smoke on you, but or most of diagnosis use energy work. It was their way of entering an altered state. But if you look at traditions elsewhere, mm -hmm. like here in Arizona where I live, we have lots of tribes here, Native American tribes. We have the Apache, we have Hopi, we have Navajo tribes. They use sweat lodges. They use drumming. Mm -hmm. And there's other ways that the medicine yep. people get into the same trance states, the same types of places where... Mm -hmm. They can channel and they can get the intuitions. And so I'm a, yeah. I, I am a big, I mean, I work with sound a lot. You mentioned sound to me is part of all of these practices. It really is mm -hmm. in my, in my experience, the sound that is doing most of the work, even in the plant medicine world, people don't realize that it's mm -hmm. the songs. It's the way the sound is penetrating you and taking you into these places. Yeah. And they think it was the thing in the cup. The cup was all that it did was it opens people up. <laughs> it makes them more susceptible to the sound so that they can't resist it because most people are so resistant to things. But I actually think that this is a problem because we're, we're so in the busy world that we've developed a limited way of interacting. We actually have a shield on most of the time because it's overwhelming. And so we are missing out on the ability of sound to take us where it used to be able to take us. When we were in less civilized societies, you know, somebody singing a song or playing a drum probably had a really profound effect on us. And so I think the medicines, what they do, the plant medicines, they usually are accompanied by music. It's that they a lot of times are opening people to the experience. But to me, that's why I love working with sound just without any medicine is that working with sound, it's like if you can learn to listen and learn to make yourself receptive, you can get the same types of things, maybe even better and probably safer without messing up your minerals in the process. And I love that. And it's not the only way, you know, Reiki energy work. There's all kinds of ways to get into states where you can you can really accomplish the same types of healing. But I think the appeal of ayahuasca for people is that we're talking about people come from a Western mindset where it's like, oh, give me a pill. Or what's the answer? Just, okay, 
it doesn't require a lot of work in people's minds. And so they think this is the answer because I'm just going to go have a wonderful, amazing, heart-opening ceremony and resolve my traumas. And then I'll just come back and I don't have to do any work. But you pointed out earlier, well, maybe that doesn't work if that's your attitude. And I, I don't think it does work in the long run. I think this, the sound piece you mentioned is really powerful because um, obviously sound baths are beginning to be added to yoga. It's becoming uh, brought into the workplace. It's something that's now beginning to trickle into mainstream. And for some that maybe aren't familiar with them, uh, one of the analogies is almost the effect of we're 70% water. Mm. So our cells, everything is affected by water. So if we imagine like a bowl, if we put water in it and then, you know, went round with the bowl, it's going to change vibrations. It affects the molecules. Therefore, a sound bath bypasses critical thinking or critical factor, which is the part of our brain that is trying to control everything and keep us safe. We relax and then basically, if there's energetic blocks within the body somehow, the sound will affect those things. So we kind of, monkey mind is out the way and energetically we are affected on many different levels. And there's no, you know, kind of, I mean, there's a few things that, um, you know, you, you wouldn't want to go in there very, very unstable or on certain medications. But generally, if we're looking at, you know, it's something that you could go and try without potential high risks. It's a smorgasbord. It's one of the toolkits. It's one of the things that could be quite easily integrated. Like I have found a place that's really close to my gym now. So as part of my little self-care, they do like um, half an hour sound bar. So I'll go to the gym and then I come out and have a nice like something to eat and then, or whatever and I'll have my sound bath. And it's like nice that we can enjoy having a little thing like that during the day. It's really special that that is even an option now and it wasn't obviously a few years ago. Um, not necessarily going in there with the needing to heal anything big or any big intentions, just because it's a gift to myself to relax, to receive. Because I think that's the thing with the sound as well. It's a big thing around receiving energy, allowing yourself to relax and just be, when a lot of us are just too busy doing and, you know, to-do lists and rushing and... It takes you out of that without a need to go to the jungle either. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they're quite inexpensive. That's, that's amazing. It is spreading. I, I teach people how to facilitate these experiences. And so I've trained over the last four or five years. About 150 people have come to my courses in person. And now they're out spreading it. And I, I see there's just like a, there is a, a real birth of, you know, these sound baths and sound healing and, Mm -hmm. To me, it's it's a fantastic. There's very few drawbacks to it. Now, like you said, there's certain situations where people maybe they need some additional support, or they might be not the right person to be there. But for the most part, it's very very safe and very very helpful. And even just giving yourself thirty minutes, I mean, I would tell people like if you could just give yourself thirty yeah. minutes to lay down. But you know, the busy professional. It's not easy, so maybe to give them something to do, oh, it's going to be a sound thing, you go later. Now they think, okay, now I'm just relaxing. It's um, A lot of the benefits come by just stopping what you're doing <laughs> as well. Yeah, even like 
the space I when I was in London many many years ago, in my twenties, at my gym they had um, sleep pods. So I used to go and have like sometimes if it was just so intense, I'd take myself off and have half an hour in the, the sleep pod at the gym. I haven't really seen them around anymore, but um, it's kind of recognizing that sometimes we have to take ourselves out of situations and just allow ourselves to have a bit of a rest. Nervous system regulates itself again and yeah, be able to step back rather than feeling that you've got to be in it when, you know, whatever is not being able to process through. Because that's another thing actually is the, the sound bath really help you move energy. So a lot of these trapped emotions, and even if you've not gone deeply into like healing work or therapy, it's recognizing that that feeling and that tension, it's kind of all connected. So sometimes actually something that, you know, can be added in at the end of the week or whenever it might be, can really, really help you just process some of this stuff, even if you're in your early days of exploring. Oh, yeah. No, I, there's a few practices that I integrate a lot. One is sound, but the other one that I do is sensory deprivation in a float tank. I don't know if you have those okay. there, too. Mm, oh, wow, yes. I had one, um, when was it, probably six months ago, and I was in there for an hour, and I think it's got something like a ton of a salt, thousand salt or something of in salt, it. Usually. And I was floating. Wow, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I had to keep the light on, and I kept the... Because there was a bit of a claustrophobia thing. So I've had past lives doing my sarcophagus training in Egypt, and I realized that some of my triggers of being, I guess, sensory in a place that, you know, because you just lose all track of space and time in those things. I couldn't manage it. So for me, it was like, okay, it's open. That's just enough for me. The little glowy lights were on. It's not glaring lights. And then actually I was able to kind of fall asleep. So that was quite an achievement in that space the first time I'd done it. So I'd love to go back and have a go, actually. Yes, they're really they're, good. Float you tanks. can have music too. So for people that are scared of total, yes, total sensory deprivation, the music gives you the sense of time. Because without the music, you can lose track of how long you're in there, and it can feel you you don't know. Yeah, that can be, I think, very disorienting for people. But the the reason I love that, and I try to go as often as possible, I have an unlimited membership, is because not just the magnesium. Now, people are talking about magnesium, but this is, mm-hmm. if you, yeah, one hour in there, you're going to get about 10 days worth of magnesium absorbed through your skin. It's an amazing way to get magnesium, but it also then gives you that same way of dropping into a completely relaxed state where all your muscles relax and your body can just kind of restart its self-healing processes. So that's another thing that I really, I love. I don't, I don't have one in my house, but if I did, I'd probably be in there every day. And just thinking about the magnesium stuff. So uh, one of my toolkits when I was back in the bank and used to be finding different ways to regulate, you know, clear my energy, reset between meetings, all the rest of it, is I would go to the gym and I'd have, Epsom salt shower gel and I found that I would use like a body brush so almost like the shaman's kind of like uh you know feather kind of thing and then I would do Epsom salt shower so that in itself to just reset me and then get back to whatever I was doing and I would use um 
energy clearings that I channeled and recorded um, that I now share with clients. But it's like finding our little toolkit for, you know, daily life. That's another thing is like, for me, all of these kind of things that I've been initiated into, they have to fit into a 3D life. You know, you know, whether you've got a family or you've got kids or, you, you know, you've got a busy job or commute. It's for me, my viewpoint is we're not here to be like the hermits in the cave. It's like we're here to actually experience life and the physicality. And as our sensitivity grows, these toolkits need to be integrated into our day to day life, like brushing our teeth. So that we can actually have more enjoyment, not be so overwhelmed or so energetically oversensitized. I mean, that's another story altogether yeah. with <laughs> energetic boundaries and stuff. But um, yeah, if more sound baths, having them in workplaces, that could be something that's part of workplace wellness. Like just as we have prayer rooms, meditation rooms, all sorts of stuff could be brought in to help people. Yeah, I know companies that are that are hiring people to go do sound baths, but not regularly, you know, it's sort of like a, a once in a while yeah. type of thing. But it, it, I, I do, I do love that you bring it back because all of these practices, it's not about the practice. It's not about the medicine. It's not about this. It's about our lives. And so also we have to remember that, you know, these things are, they can be stressors too, you know, the self-care can become stress. So we have to figure out, you know, the another job. Yeah, another job. <laughs> so you always want to balance these things with yeah. our lives. You don't want to make it, you know, overwhelming. And I think there is like a, from my perspective, I often find that people go in this phase of like, you know, there's going to be some intense periods where you do need a level of dedication. And in doing so, you're kind of like in that chrysalis thing and, you know, then rebirthing yourself. But that's not forevermore. You're not constantly. I mean, I know that my work brings me initiations, but the way that I'm working with them, there's a cycle. And it means that, you know, in the past, I've actually rescinded certain contracts to do certain things like certain land work or grid work because it meant I was not really getting much of a life. I was so on purpose and mission and off doing everything. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> of course I can do it, but it doesn't mean that I should. And I get to co-create with my agreements with being here. And that includes being able to have a physical experience without, um, yeah, all the overwhelm and everything else. I think it's cycles. It's recognizing even for some people that go through I guess that initial like dark night of the soul, it's not forever. And also I've got some differing opinions around that belief system and actually whether we need to be playing into yeah. it as well. Um, so I think it's really powerful when we hear other people that have been able to cultivate their experience in a different way. I remember um, many years ago, someone said, oh, we're going to have to get you on an ashram, aren't we? And I'm like, I'm like the last person to be going to an ashram. That is just not in alignment with me. And quite frankly, like, you know, I've been popped in these situations or environments as a soul level because I'm meant to be there kind of integrating stuff because then it has that ripple effect for people around me. Um, you know, I'm not meant to be like in the robes out in a cave. That may have worked in other timelines, but I feel that now whole different yeah. ball game. 
Yeah, I, I, I resonate. There was a time in my life when I was younger where I was contemplating, you know, I just meditate all day. I'm going to go to a cave. I'm going to go to an ashram. And luckily I, I had, I had a meal with a friend and she brought her new boyfriend at the time and he was Indian from India. And I was talking to him about it and he said, you know what, I mean, he said, I think that that, that would be a real shame for the world because if you're off meditating in an ashram, then you're not really sharing anything with anybody. It's going to be a very selfish life. You may find that inner peace, but maybe there's inner peace to be found in teaching people and bringing what you know into the world. And I remember that conversation because nobody had told me that before until that moment. And I said, okay, that actually makes a lot of sense. And that's when I started to shift right around that time into teaching or being a lawyer. Yeah, definitely. And I feel that for many people that are stepping into the role of sharing or been through these initiations, this isn't our first time around the block. Like we're holding on to so many codes and mastery that we can switch on and almost fast track the people that we get to have interactions with, even sharing our stories and our perspectives, that can become the medicine in itself. Um, and that's not going to be heard if we're off hiding in a cave or, you know. <laughs> I mean, I literally find myself being like, oh, you know, I'm being guided to go off here today. And I sit, it happened the other day, and I was at Avery. And I sat down and it was really sunny and I thought, okay, I'm just having like a bite of cake. And I think I got about two bites and then these two women came over to me and it was like divine appointment type stuff. And after about an hour long conversation, you know, this big chat, this lady had been a uh, physicist. So she'd been in the science world, then kind of taken herself off to um, Damaha in Italy. That kind of like, what is a cult? She was saying that she'd left there. And was really in this stuck point and in another community, a spiritual group that was saying that she needed to be doing grid work all the time. And she's like, I'm just not feeling like these are what I'm meant to be doing. So I just gave her a completely different perspective on things in one hour conversation. And she was like, I feel like you've just opened up so much, like almost like I don't even need to be rejecting who I was in the past, even these experiences in the cult or whatever else. It's all things that I can teach and share and help people when they're na navigating desiring community. And, and I'm like, yeah, all of it is our training ground. And the fact that you can bring in all this knowledge of like science means that you're going to integrate all the kind of like quantum physics stuff that people are going to need to understand. And you're going to have the language and the encyclopedia that can really speak to people in those industries as well. It's like, I feel that when I kind of started going into spiritual communities a few years back, it almost was like I've just cut off a limb. Who I was before is gone and you're meant to just reject it. And I'm like, what happens if actually that's part of our education? We need it all. Amazing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing and, um, yeah, amazing. I think it's so potent and so much wisdom there. How can people connect with you and how do you like, how are you working yeah, with people no, at the moment? Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. I feel like we could talk forever. Um, for my for my mineral <laughs> coaching, the best way to get me would be mineralshaman.com or my Instagram at mineralshaman. If people happen to be interested in sound, I have all of that information on my 
personal website, which is just my name, Hamid, H-A-M-I-D, Jabbar, J-A-B-B-A-R.com. Couldn't come up with a more creative name, unfortunately, for the website. But I have in-person sound trainings, and I have an online sound training. People can take it anywhere in the world if they want to learn how to work with these instruments or just get a better understanding. And um, I do work, my coaching, my mineral coaching, health coaching is worldwide. So we do it via Zoom. So I can work with people anywhere as long as we can coordinate the time right and make sure we're in the same same place at the same time, you know. That's the biggest challenge usually. And you do um, the testing and everything. You can organize that piece yeah. of it. You've got labs that they can reach yes. out to. Yes, so it just depends on people's country. Um, I have good contacts in a lot of the bigger countries for, for ways for people to get lab testing. Some countries don't allow it. Um, I can often ship the hair test worldwide if their country doesn't have it. Um, but we usually work it out. We usually figure out a way to get people tested. And it is helpful to have sort of the, the analytical, you know, the blood work and the hair test, just so you can see the numbers. Because it's oftentimes a mystery. We may, we may know that 80% of the population is magnesium deficient, but we don't know where we fall in that spectrum. It's nice to see. And then also it's helpful to see where our iron and our copper iron is a big part of health and wellness as well. And, and so that's really helpful. You know, it, it sort of demystifies things. And most doctors, most practitioners don't actually test in that way. So a lot of times people come and they say they have labs and say, okay, well, send it to me. And their doctor didn't test what we test. So I, I just, we offer a different framework and I'm not a doctor. I mean, I have a doctorate, but it's in law. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a medical doctor. And I really just help people understand from their own perspective, the labs, what they mean. And, and also I can help them with, uh, giving them protocols or suggestions on what to do, you know, especially if they're going to work with plant medicines. I think it's very important to have support before and after. I do a lot of work with people in that context. And also it's now emerging this whole field of psychedelic assisted therapy, which is very similar in its depletion uh, properties of our minerals. I am working with people in that context. And believe it or not, a lot of the people I work with are actually doctors and practitioners in those realms because I can help them understand how to work with their clients better. So if that's, that's, I'm I'm offering that as a resource to practitioners because there's not a lot of resources on the mineral front for them. That's really powerful. And that just means the level of care is going to increase, you know, through that route as well. Yeah, absolutely. But, I'm always evolving too. So, you know, eight years ago I was a lawyer. Today this is what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'll be doing in 10 years. So stay tuned. <laughs> I'm here. So, here. <laughs> so just drop us in. Right? Okay, off we go. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And um, I'm really excited to be sharing this with uh, the community and I feel that even for now and the future this conversation is going to be so activating for people so yeah it's, it's a gift so thank You're you welcome. so much thank you too. 
Thank you for listening today, gorgeous souls. And if you're enjoying the Soul Line Living podcast, I'd be so grateful if you would give it a review. That would be absolutely amazing. Thank you to you all and look forward to sharing the next episode with you very soon. Take care. Bye-bye.